This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be part of it New York, New York It just might be the greatest sports franchise in the history of sports. A place where legends are made and there's always something to talk about. Get ready to immerse yourself in pinstripes. Start spreading the news. Hosted by Paul Semendinger and E.J. Fagan. A couple of doctors with a prescription for Yankee fever. And now, here's Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. E.J. Fagan. Get ready to start spreading the news. And welcome to the Start Spreading the News YouTube program on the Northeast Streaming Sports Network. You can find us here on YouTube, and you can also find us on Facebook and iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, Zodiac, Global, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter. I think I said Facebook, all sorts of places. I am your co-host, Dr. Paul Semendinger, with my co-host, my good friend, Dr. E.J. Fagan, and ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time we've been together in about three weeks. Andy Singer, lead writer at Start Spreading the News, filled in for me two weeks ago. He filled in for EJ last week. And now we're back again, the dynamic duo or something like that. EJ, how are you? Paul, I'm doing wonderful. Got a little bit of Yankee fever right now, but we're going to get through this. So I apologize to anybody if there's a cough or two on this uh, on this podcast but uh, or on this, on this episode. But we're going to talk some, some baseball. Yes, we are. And... Uh, we were going to talk about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, forgive my long-winded introduction here, EJ, but I believe I found the secret to the Yankees' reasoning, and it has to do with the fact that the Major League Baseball obviously locked out, but what they're saying is when, or one of the sticking points, is this ex idea of expanded playoffs. And I think the Yankees made a critical decision. I, I disagree with it, but it makes sense logically that they don't have to put a team of all-stars and have the biggest payroll out there in order to be the greatest team in the American League to reach the playoffs, like the old Yankee model. All they need to really do is be good enough to reach the playoffs where anything can happen. And I think the Yankees feel that if they're good enough to reach the playoffs, which if the playoffs get expanded really just means like 90 or 92 wins or so, and I'll bet you there'll even be some uh, under 500 teams that make it. And the Yankees are over 500 every year since 1993. They think, well, we could just be good enough. We'll always be just good enough and we can make the playoffs and then anything can happen. We can run off a big winning streak. And if we run off a, a winning streak like we did in August of last year, and if we just do that in October, we're going to win a few world championships. So anyway, I think that's the Yankees model. I think their crosstown rival, the Mets, are thinking about it a different way. They're trying to recapture the excitement of the city. They are going big. They're bringing in lots of stars. They're, they're, they're being very active in free agency. You know, they just signed Max Scherzer. They signed Francisco Lindor last year. And now they bagged who I think is the best manager in New York City, Buck Showalter. So, EJ, what do you think about all that? The Mets going big. The Yankees saying we're going to be just good enough. And, of course, the Mets hiring Buck Showalter. That's a lot to digest. 
yeah, I'd rather be the team that won 92 games last year. Um, you know, the, the Mets are have a long way to go, a very long way to go. Now they, they've done good things. I I think I don't really care about their the manager they they, they brought in. You know, Buck, Buck Walter is fine. I don't think there's I think there's a reason why he hasn't had a job for the last three years. It hasn't been that he doesn't want a job. He's wanted a major league job this whole time. Um, he's an old school manager, and there aren't a lot of old school managers that I think are going to be particularly great managers today. Um, Aaron Boone might also be kind of in the, in the old school manager camp, may, may not be particularly great, but um, uh, for this Mets group, this kind of weird dysfunctional family of Mets, maybe he's the right guy. Maybe he's the guy to come in and fix kind of a bit of a broken clubhouse. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't have buyers and boards right now. Um, that we could have had Buck Shaw Walter all that much. And I'll tell you, I'd rather be the Yankees than the Mets right now. The Mets had, were a 77 win team last year. They brought in Max Scherzer. That's great. I hope he's really great. Um, you know, they they're hoping for a season out of Jacob Degrom. They're hoping for they're hoping for a lot of big rebounds. Uh, but ultimately, I think they're going to find out that they made some bad decisions. And you know, the 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 upside of that the, the the best part of Brian Cashman has always been that he has not made too many awful, horrible decisions with very very large contracts like Francisco Lindor, which was just a bad signing by the Mets. So yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm most confident here. I I I don't think uh, the Yankees are going to be losing the the, the the New York crowd to the Mets anytime soon. Interesting. So so I'm going to take the opposite opinion on that. I I think the the Mets are bringing uh, vitality, energy, excitement. I think these are the things that fans want to see. I see Yankee fans getting frustrated. Uh, even Brian Cashman last year said that. Um, oh, there's Andy. Ah, I'm glad Andy, because Andy, Andy definitely takes a different view of Buck Showalter, and we're going to have to get Andy on. He just wrote a piece uh, in the comments on Start Spreading the News about the way Buck Showalter managed with Baltimore, and he feels he set a lot of players back uh, the way he, he managed the minor leagues. Um, but, but my feeling is that the Mets are bringing a lot of energy, and as I was saying, even Brian Cashman said last year's Yankees were boring at times, and they were. And they really haven't really been all that exciting for a long time. I think the last time the Yankees were exciting was that next man up, which I think was uh, Aaron Boone's first year. I loved that. I love when he was showing all that fire, the savages in the box, and uh, Brett Gardner was banging on the clubhouse roof. And there was a lot of energy, and it was a lot of fun. The last couple of years really haven't been fun. It's been, it's to me at least, felt like the guys are going through the motions. And the Mets are bringing in lots of players. And I think they brought in a great manager. Andy's going to disagree with me on that. But um, I think if I'm a t other team and I see Buck Showalter sitting in the opposite dugout, I'm saying, uh-oh, we have to have a battle of wits here. The managers are going to be looking at, at the other team and saying, like, I don't know if I know more about baseball than that guy, and I don't know if I can outmanage that guy. I don't think any manager thinks that when they manage the Yankees and they look at Aaron Boone and they go, hmm, yeah, he's a couple of innings ahead of me. I think Aaron Boone, at least or so it seems, is in the moment. I don't know if he's ever shown that he's innings ahead like uh, like like some of the great managers. And, you know, there have been a couple of old school managers that have had a lot of success in recent, uh, especially last year, like Dusty Baker and Tony Larusa, who've been managing for a long time. So, you know, it, obviously some of the old methods still work. And, you know, if if. Uh, Buck Showalter can clean up some of the nonsense, the thumbs down, and the unprofessionalness that struck the Mets. He could turn that 77-win team into a 92-win team, and they could get into the playoffs just as quick as the Yankees do. 
I mean, I, don't, I just don't agree, right? Like, I think the Mets have a really bad roster. And I think they have a couple of great players they added. And if the Yankees don't add any more players this offseason, maybe we can talk about this being a problem. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Yankees are going to add several players to this roster. They, they've, say, they've stated elite. They need to add a shortstop. They probably need to add a first baseman. Um, and they've said they want to add a center fielder. So, you know, if they end up getting Andrelton Simmons at shortstop and, you know, DJ LeMay, who's playing first base, and Aaron Hicks is playing center, you know, we can have a talk about this. Um, but I'm telling you right now, the Mets are not good. Um, their number five hitter right now is projected to be 39-year-old Robinson Cano coming off a steroid suspension. Their, um, their number three hitter is projected to be Francisco Lindor, who's coming off of three straight down years. Um, if, if, if I'm the Mets and, and I want to see success for Bookshaw Walter, what I want to see is that he gets a lot of their struggling players back on track. I don't really care. I don't think the strategic decisions are what you should be looking for if you're the Mets. Their problem is, is that Francisco Lindor is underperforming. Jeff McNeil is underperforming. Um, you know, Pete Alonso is turning into kind of a home run or bust kind of guy. Um, and that, that there's just there's just not a lack of depth on this roster. And other than Scherzer and DeGrom, their pitching isn't particularly great either. So, you know, I don't know. This is an old team. I don't think it's a particularly exciting team. Um, I, I think the Mets are about to be disappointed personally. Interesting. Well, we're going to find out if they even play baseball in 2022, um, which team, you know, I'm not one of these guys that hates the Mets. I think Brian is making a great point here too. Uh, how Buck Showalter will handle New York this time around with social media as because when he was a Yankee manager, that was non-existent. Um, so I'm not wishing them. I've never wished the Mets, at least in, in my grown up years, ill will. I think when you're growing up and, and you're a kid on the playground, Yankees, Mets, Yankees, Mets, my team's better than yours. Your team stinks. I mean, but, but once you grow up, like, hey, if the Mets win, that's that's great. I, I just want the Yankees to win. And if we meet up in the World Series, I, I hope the Yankees beat you. But but I don't wish any ill will toward the Mets. And, you know, when, when Willie Randolph was their manager, of course I was going to root for Willie Randolph. I want only good things for Willie Randolph. And now that Buck's their manager, I want good things. I the Yankees still need a third Buck. base coach. The Yankees do not need a third base coach because they they have the Mets' old uh, manager. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he's going to play third base. And they need a bench coach. Or I don't know. They'll, 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 they, 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 get, they can still fit in Willie Randolph somewhere. Yeah, I would love for Willie Randolph to take that job. I'd, I'd love the Yankees to offer it to him. I don't see it happening. All right, so if you could pick one guy, because I think that's, and we've talked about this, I think that's one of the things that the Yankees need is they need that crusty old baseball veteran, Buck Showalter, to be a bench coach next to Aaron Boone to help Aaron Boone just see things a little bit differently. And, and you know, there's all the talk that Aaron Boone gets his marching orders from Brian Cashman in the front office and everything's predetermined. If this happens, then do this. I, I don't know how true any of that is, but I mean, that's the perception. It'd be nice to have somebody on the bench who talks and, and just goes not necessarily always by the gut, but, but to look at, looks at things like maybe the old fashioned way and it provides at least a little bit of balance. Supposedly Don Zimmer did that for uh Joe Torrey and Joe Torrey that first year gave Don Zimmer a lot of credit for having him do things he might not have ordinarily done. It's good to have that, you know, the uh, angel and the devil on the shoulder to two different perspectives who can talk through situations. So EJ, if you could pick one guy out of all of baseball to be that voice on sitting next to Aaron Boone, who would it be? I don't know. It's tough. Cause I, I don't, I don't really want that guy sitting next to Aaron Boone. <laughs> I, I think that's Aaron Boone. Right, Aaron Boone's the guy who was born in a baseball clubhouse, um, who was who's supposed to be the the crusty old baseball voice 
in a room full of nerds. And the Yankees had the nerds, right? They, I think they made a really great signing when they signed uh, Dylan Lawson to be their new hitting coach because they signed a, a, a new school driveline baseball kind of guy. And, and I, I think that's the direction that the, the, the game's going. So like, I get, I think that should be Aaron Boone. I think he needs a, a he needs a, a, a nerd next to him. He needs a, you know, a Gabe Kapler type next to him. Obviously Kapler has a job. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I that there, there's no reason to have Aaron Boone other than what you just said, right? The guy who knows more about baseball than anybody else. Um, you know, I, I and it's not like he's a young guy. He's not like the hired girl. You know, when Kevin Cash was hired uh, to coach the Rays, he was like 32. Um, you know, Aaron Boone has been around the book of the game for a long time. So I, just, I don't think this is the problem with the Yankees. I, I'm glad. I think it, it's telling that the first thing they did was they fired their hitting coach because I think that was the problem with the Yankees. Um, and, and I think they should look a lot into their pitching philosophy and how they're thinking about kind of pitchers throwing so many breaking balls on like basically every other team in the league. Um, I think, you know, th- there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot the Yankees can do to improve, but I, I just, I don't, I, I don't think it's, I don't think this is, this is what we should be focusing on. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, if they had hired Buck Walter instead of Aaron Boone, you really have a very different season next year. Interesting. All right. Well, time is going to tell because, you know, I've been beating the Buck Walter bandwagon for a long time. I think the first summer of start spreading the news, I, I started my bring back buck uh campaign and uh you know some people disagreed with me some people argued with me but but i've always been a big buck remember Showalter buck fan. Showalter has the same record as aaron boone in terms of you know regular season wins postseason losses right like everything buck never won. Boone. that's correct and he's been on he's been helming a lot of really good teams and and they often win without you know immediately after he leaves um so like i, I don't i just don't i wouldn't i wouldn't expect it to be very different. I mean, it's not like you're going out and getting, I'm not a fan of his either, but Tony LaRusso, who has that record, um, you're getting a guy who keeps getting fired after winning a lot of games. <laughs> Joe Torre never won anything until he came to the Yankees. And it was a great baseball mind, a guy who'd been around the block a few hundred times and he had never won. And then all of a sudden he wins a whole bunch of times. So, first you know, was never fire Joe Torre. So I got to, you know, That's correct. That is Uh, correct. But that was after the success. You know, there is the point that Joe Torre at one point uh, seemed to lose that edge. And I I remember the, 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 the Kurt Schilling game, right. With the, with the bloody sock. And, and before the game, he said, we're not going to bunt on him. Like, why would you say that? Like, no, I would have everybody bunting. If he, if your pitcher can't move, bunt on him. the, The idea isn't to be nice. The idea is to win the game. This was the playoffs. Um, so, so you know, in Rocky Three, they talk about uh, Rocky not fighting Clubber Lang because uh, Mickey says Rocky has lost the edge. He's lost the eye of the tiger, which uh, Apollo eventually calls it. Uh, and I think maybe toward the end, maybe Joe Torre might have lost the eye of the tiger. He he got no, uh, he lost he he. So I, I think this is this is a never ending problem with baseball managers that the smartest guy ten years ago is the dumbest guy today. So we saw that with Joe Girardi. When Joe Girardi was hired, he was, you know, for lack of a better word, a progressive manager. He was a future-oriented guy. He was a guy who people like me loved, right? Because he was he was somebody you'd expect to have kind of, uh, you know, the, the nerdy view of baseball. And by the time, by the end of the day, by the time he, w- he was no longer, he was fired from the Yankees manager, he was not one of those guys. He was kind of on the tail end. And if you look at Joe Torre and Buck Showalter, these are guys who were some of the best managers of the 90s right before the transformation of the way we think about baseball. And as soon as that transformation happens, you have things like Joe Torre throwing Scott Proctor for too many. 
Jones or Joe Torre having to be like lectured by the front office not to destroy Jabba Chamberlain's arm. Um, you know, the, that that's the weakness that that's that's what you lose. And I think it's telling that neither of those guys were particularly successful when they moved on to other jobs after the Yankees. It's, it's a great point. And, you know, it's going to be fun in New York if there's baseball. And I'm sure hoping there is. But is we're going to get to see Joe, uh, Joe Torrey, uh, Buck Showalter head to head against Aaron Boone. And we'll see what happens. Hey, look, bottom line. I hope I'm a hundred million percent wrong about Buck Showalter being a better manager than Aaron Boone. I hope the Yankees go out and win 110 games and and uh, fly through the playoffs and win a world championship. I mean, that's ultimately what we want. And what we uh, what we're doing is obviously discussing the different philosophies, the different ideas on who has the better way to get the Yankees that next World Series. I. My position is I think the Yankees have a better chance if Buck Showalter's the manager um, than Aaron Boone. Obviously, um, you're taking the opposite side on that. So it's all good. EJ, what do you think about the uh, – this is something Andy and I also touched upon for a good little while last week, but, but the baseball labor situation. Mm. Uh, I ran an article about, I don't know, eight days ago that uh, talked about the blog which has been in existence uh, under under my tutelage and my leadership, I guess, since 2017. And I looked at the numbers of, of how many page views we get per month. And it turns out that basically the most popular month on the blog has been December. Mm -hmm. It was our biggest month in 2018, our biggest month in 2019. And in 2020, it was our second biggest month as far as page views go. And there's this idea that people don't tune in to baseball in the off season. And my point is that they really do, um, that it's a year round sport. And one of my worries with the sport is that with this lockout, you know, people are saying, what's well, the good time to lock out? I'm saying it's not a, there's never a good time, but this isn't a good time because this is when fans really get into the game and they start thinking about the next year and buying season tickets and purchasing things for the holidays and getting excited about free agent signings and, the Hall of Fame elections and things like that. So December's a pretty exciting month for baseball, even though that seems counterintuitive. And my worry is that without baseball, people are going to find other pastimes and other things to do. And sometimes when you do that, and then the thing that was taken away from you comes back, you go, oh, you know what? I didn't miss it as, uh, as much as I thought I would. And I've really gotten this other interest. Do you have that fear that baseball is going to have a hard time recapturing fans if and when it comes back? I, I have that fear if they miss games um, or even if, if, if there's a lot of kind of very public drama going into spring training um, for now, I don't think anybody who's really in danger of leaving is, is all that cares all that much. I mean, there, we had a, we've already had most of an off season. If you look at the um, Emily trade rumors, top 50 free agents, like two thirds of them have signed. And they all signed kind of in that last week of November. And then after this lockout's over, they're all going to sign in a very exciting week in February. I think we're just kind of moving more January and February to December right now. And the, the real question is, is, you know, is this something that goes into March? Is it something that goes into April and we start to worry about games? Um, we, we had a news report come out this week that the, the, the two sides are talking, but they're talking not about core economic issues. And they're going to ignore those until January, which means that we're, there's still like a, a game of brinksmanship that we have to, we have to expect that, that, that we're, that, that, that they're waiting on and, um, and then there's going to be some kind of conflict right there. And that, that's what I'm worried about, right? Because that could end up in canceled games. Again, I mentioned on this podcast before, I'm a big hockey fan, and I have lost three full seasons 
uh, of hockey to uh, to labor shortages during my time as a hockey fan. And it sucks and it's awful. And it does make you not, you know, make you, you know, find something else to do. We're not there yet. Um, and I'm pretty confident we're not going to be there yet. Everybody's making a lot of money. Um, the players are making a lot of money. The owners are making a lot of money. And even if you lose a small amount of games, there's a lot of money in danger here, unlike the National Hockey League's previous lockouts. Um, so we'll see. I just, a couple of things I hope. One is I hope that we don't delay spring training. And I hope we don't rush spring training. We saw what happened during the COVID season when we gave a, a shortened spring training to pitchers. You had a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries to high-profile players that could have been avoided. Um, and I and I hope that there is a, a solid month of, of, of offseason. I, I hope that this is not a, on March 15th, we sign a, a CBA, players immediately get on planes to wherever they're supposed to go, and everybody signs that week. Because uh, I think that w- we would lose something kind of fun about baseball, um, about that offseason. But honestly – I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not worried yet. I'm not feeling the loss of baseball yet. I mean, this is because like a lot of people, I have other sports right now. For some people, it's college football. Um, for me, it's, it's hockey, uh, you know, as much as the New Jersey, New Jersey Devils make, make, make me want to end the season right now. Um, and the other thing is like, this is just something that, that we've, we've been lucky enough to avoid for 20 years or 30 years. Um, you know, most other sports have much more frequent labor disputes. I think it's, it's interesting that baseball hasn't. Uh, and this is something that unfortunately I think needs to happen. So um, let's just hope that it doesn't, it, this doesn't threaten games and that, you know, come, you know, when we're actually starting to ramp up for the season when we're all doing kind of our preseason rituals, I, I've got my preseason rituals that uh, we know that there's going to be spring training in baseball. Um, my worry is that baseball's on shaky footing, that baseball's doing a lot of things that just, uh, undermines the fans' in, uh, confidence in the game and in the game's integrity. You look at the fact that they used two different baseballs last year. You look at the fact that they had the sticky stuff and they decided midseason to to change the rule. I've never heard of a league changing rules like that midseason or equipment midseason like that or or the way you're using equipment. Uh, you had the cheating scandals with with numerous teams. Um, you know, there's a lot of betting, and when there becomes a lot of betting, people then start to wonder, like, ooh, did he drop that ball on purpose? You know, one of the things that sports always did was it stayed away from from endorsing betting. And my goodness, you can't get away from it now. Every time you listen to sports radio, every time you watch a game, like every other ad, mm-hmm. it used to be beer commercials. Now every other ad's for a betting app. Um, and yeah, I, I'm I concerned about of, it. Yeah, I think a lot of those things make make tend to make you say, hmm, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, the the American sports have always had, since for a very long time, have had essentially uh, very few problems with things like match fixing. Um, in European sports, this has always been a problem um, for lots of reasons, mostly kind of how those leagues are structured, and also that, that I think the the the, uh, the the Black Sox scandal, you know, has this kind of long lasting effect on on Major League Baseball, um, and and the Pete Rose, you know, banning for life, I'm sure, was sent a message to a lot of people. Um, I, I worry about it too. I mean, look, uh, take the Supreme court. I mean, there's really, unfortunately, as soon as, as soon as states all of a sudden, you know, begin to legalize gambling and, and, and tax the hell out of it, it becomes a problem. Um, I, I, you know, what, what kills me is that I don't know how many major league baseball fans who are watching a game of betting. I'm assuming it's very few. Uh, and those few might be very profitable people. It might be more, you know, better economics to run that ad than to run the beer ad. Um, and we shouldn't we shouldn't pretend that the beer ad's a good thing that we should be wanting to run either. But um, but you know we, we 
you know, it, what kills me is that is that all of this time and attention and annoying stuff during games is targeting what, like 5% of fans? Um, like, I'm never going to bet. I, I, you know, I, I played DFS baseball when it first came out, very briefly. And I enjoyed it. It was fun to play. Until I realized that the players I was playing against had millions of games played. So how do you get millions of games played on, on this? Well, you get it through an automated system. And it turns out uh, there was a new story published not long after I started that uh, these millions of, of games played, played were being played by robots, essentially programmed by hedge funds, because it was a beatable game. Any beatable game, you're going to have people trying to, to win the game. And uh, you know they had very weird lineups, and I didn't know why they had very weird lineups. And it turns out because they they had a smarter algorithm than me. I think I'm a pretty smart baseball player. I, I'm a baseball fan. I think I, I, I matching up against other normal baseball fans, I do pretty well with DFS. But it turns out that I was just being fed to the slaughter for all of these hedge funds, and so I stopped playing. It's too bad because I, I really enjoyed that, and I think I would have enjoyed you know putting a few dollars down at any given time and trying to win. Uh, it's bad. It's addicting. It's something that I wish we could excise from American life, but we can't. It's here to stay, and I think it's just going to get worse. I'm not, it's not just baseball, though. That's all sports. Um, you know, the Athletic, our last kind of remaining bastion of sports journalism in the country, is being rumored to be to be bought by one of the gambling companies. Um, it's just, it, it's you, you know, write your Supreme Court justice. That's that's the only advice I have. Interesting. Um, hey, let's talk about something a little bit, little bit happier, EJ. Um, it's the holiday season, <clears throat> and Andy and I did talk a little about this, but we we haven't heard from you. Um, mm-hmm. And you know what? A lot of people wait till the last minute to to do their purchasing, and Christmas is coming about. up. <laughs> and our producer, I believe, is is still working on some last minute uh, holiday gifts for his wife. Um, they're, 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 they're discussing, um, some very fancy things. I, I, I imagine, I'm not sure, but Hey, EJ, if someone had approached you or approaches you over the next couple of days, with Christmas on the horizon, and they say, EJ, you are, and you really are one of the smartest and most knowledgeable baseball fans around. What would you get somebody who loves baseball for a Christmas gift? What, what, what are some recommendations you might have? Sure. I mean, look, you can you can go for you know baseball gear, all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to give you some books because I'm I'm a smart guy. I'm going to I read books. I love books. I give books, and there's some great baseball books out here. So let me give you my two favorite baseball books of all time. My third is is a book that you've heard of called Moneyball, which I don't think I need to tell anybody exists. Uh, the book that personally changed my life and is is a wonderful book, and it's good. You know, that that's on the list. But since you probably heard of Moneyball here or two, first is a book called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work which is by um, the two guys behind the, or the two of the three people behind the uh, Effectively Wild uh, podcast, Sam and Ben, Ben Lindbergh, Sam Miller. And they were doing a podcast. And one day they said, you know, someone should just give us an independent league team to manage. I think we could do pretty well. You know, I, you know, I, I, I think we could, we could bring something to this. And one of their listeners who happened to own an independent league baseball team in a small independent league in Northern California said, here you go, take this team. And uh, the Sonoma Stompers, they managed for a full independent league season from acquiring the roster to, you know, their day-to-day experience in games. And it's a fascinating book. One, because they quickly realized they are in deep over their heads, right? They're like, we should not be in this role. Uh, we do not know what we're doing. Um, but they also get some cool stuff. So, for example, because, you know, they have lots of friends in the game, they're able to get a bunch of technology into the ballpark that 
wasn't there previously, which allowed them to get a bunch of kind of interesting types of players who weren't, who, who weren't there previously. Um, it's a wonderful book. They're, they go on an emotional journey kind of through this. They fight with their manager, their player manager. Uh, they, um, they, they win, they lose. It is, it is an amazing book. My favorite book about baseball um, that is pitched as two stat heads do stats in the independent leagues, but that's not the book. The book is, is the profile of a really interesting independent league team and kind of the emotional journey that two people go on trying to run it. It is fascinating. Um, one of those movies I'd love, I'd love to see a small movie made about, about it one day. It's just, it's, it's a wonderful book. The other is a much older book. This is a book by one of my favorite uh, baseball players that I've ever seen play. Uh, that's Gaylord Perry. And the book is Me and the Spitter. Um, and it's a book that he wrote while he was still pitching about the use of the spitball and what he used to do in games, which is insane because it was, he was not grandfathered into the spitter while he was playing. He, he was just, uh, he was, he would just, you know, play cat and mouse and evade referees. Um, there's just, there it is, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, it's called Me and the Spitter. You can get a used copy on Amazon. Highly recommended. Oh, those are excellent uh, book suggestions. Um, have you ever read Ball Four? That's my favorite baseball book of all time. No, I've heard great things about it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I don't think the book ever gets old, but I had my kids read it once they were big because there's a lot of inappropriate things in there. Some some language that that's definitely not for the young younger set. Um, but it, I, I just, I just love the way Jim Bouton tells a story. I, I love the way that whole book just works through. I love the fact that it was written not by a superstar, but by a guy who was just trying to hang on. And, you know, when I read it, a lot of the guys, a lot of the names were guys that I knew and 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 I I had had baseball cards of, even though it was written in 1969 and I was only a year old and I didn't start collecting probably until the mid 1970s or the late 1970s. I think the first time I bought baseball cards in the store was like 1977. But still, you know, you start to collect cards and and you get cards at garage sales and from older cousins and things like that. And a lot of the names were guys I had heard of. Um, one of the things when my when my kids read the book is a lot of the guys they had never heard of. And so I think it was harder, a little bit harder for them to relate to some of those guys. Um, another great book I read was Luckiest Man by Jonathan Eag, which is, is the uh, I think the definitive story of Lou Gehrig. And, and he writes so, so, so well. Um, that's another one I highly recommend. Jane Levy wrote this, the, uh, the biography of Sandy Koufax which was also an outstanding baseball book. So, so those are, I mean, I bet you we could talk for hours about our favorite books, but those are three of my favorite. Mike Whiteman, uh, who is a, uh, both a guest on Star Spreading the News or a writer on Star Spreading the News and a guest on the Bronx Bee podcast recommends an excellent book called The Baseball 100 by Joe Posnaski. I do too, uh, yes. There it is, Mike Whiteman. Yep, highly recommended. Um, it's, uh, it's a good book, and um, uh, maybe it's going to be under the tree for somebody I know this year. We'll see. I hope um, it is for you. I got it the minute it came out and uh, read through it. Now, he says it's um, longer than Moby Dick. Now, I shared this a couple weeks ago, too. I read Moby Dick about two summers ago. I had a friend who said, you have to read Moby Dick. So I did, and it's good. Um, I, have you read Moby Dick? I have not. All right. So there's a lot of Moby Dick that gets into a lot of minutia about whaling. And they talk about, you know, like how harpoons are made and about the, the rope mm -hmm. that is made for pages and pages. They talk about how you skin a whale and how you 
do all that stuff. And it's a long book. The story itself is a good story. Obviously, everybody knows that story. Um, but there's a lot of minutia in there that if you're not a whaler or a shipper in the 1800s, it, it's somewhat of a tough read. Posnansky's book is longer than Moby Dick, and it reads fast. He's such a great writer. Now, I'm going to make a prediction, EJ, since Mike Whiteman is, is tuning in. EJ, if you're not going to buy a book and you were to wanting to buy something that might be an activity, something to do, to play with, what would be the one thing you would, would get? I'm going to predict, I can predict what uh, Mike Whiteman, if he's going to make a comment on there, is going to say, because there is definitely something I know he's a big fan of mm. that, that, that would be a great activity. Can you recommend anything that wouldn't be a, uh, as we wait to see if Mike uh, puts something up, anything that wouldn't be a book that somebody might want? Yeah, I get, I get tickets game? to a minor league baseball game, right? I mean, that, to me, that's, that's the answer. You go to your, your local as low as possible, low A, um, you know, if you can, if you're near you know, the rookie ball leagues, don't really exist anymore. But low A independent league, go to some kind of really uh, sketchy minor league baseball. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's a lot more fun to watch when they make mistakes than on the high end, where it just looks like major league baseball. But you don't know the names of people. College baseball is great. Um, yeah, buy buy tickets. Go see some minor league baseball. So, so yeah. So in other words, have an event. Take a family member. Take a friend. And go uh, enjoy baseball that's away from the big leagues and, and mm -hmm. just baseball where it's much more pure. Have you ever been to the Cape Cod League? I haven't. I'd love to go to the Cape Cod League. Yeah, or the I mean, Fall League. Yeah, I, I'd love to see the Cape Cod League too, because that's the college players, some of the best college players playing wood bat baseball over the summer. Now, I'm a little well, hey, if, you, if you want a more expensive option, go mm -hmm. down to the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico and go to their winter leagues some of the most, or, or the Mexican league during the season, some of the most incredible baseball you will ever watch. So much fun. Um, it, it just, it, it has, has a crazy environment in, in these leagues in the way that major league baseball does not. And it's, it's amazing. It's people who love what they're watching, watching baseball. So highly recommended. Uh, one of the three, the three big leagues, either the winter leagues or the Mexican league. Now, Mike would never wrote in. So I'm, uh, I think if I, Know Mike well enough, he would recommend the wonderful game called Stratomatic Baseball, mm. which which has been a tabletop game since the 1960s. It's still going strong. It is, according to uh, Mike Whiteman, I'm sure, but definitely according to me, one of those great, great, great family games. It is detailed in that you have lefty-righty matchups and they rate the players according to their defense and the range that they have and how many innings a pitcher can pitch and, um, you know, who strikes out more than who walks more. A lot of great baseball minds have said that they learned baseball and the value of, like, on-base percentage and things like that by playing Stratomatic when they were growing up. The game hasn't changed. It's still there. And yet it's so detailed and so much a part of uh, so realistic is uh, of, of a game, but you can play a game in like 30 minutes once you figure it out. And it's very easy to figure out. It's just really using uh, three dice that the stats become very accurate. The players perform as they should. The game plays as a real game does, but you get it over with quickly. It's not like some of those tabletop games, which take as long as a real baseball game. So if anybody has ever had an interest in a baseball uh, board game, I think the best one out there is Stratomatic. Paul, so Brian Capozzi in the comments mentions uh, the Savannah Bananas. Have you heard of them? Okay. I have not. So the Savannah Bananas are um, a, an independent league or, or began as an independent league team in Savannah, Georgia. 
And they decided they wanted to make baseball much more fun for as a spectator experience. And so they decided to tweak the rules a little bit and kind of invent a, a new game that looked a lot like baseball, but was slightly different. They did things like instead of winning a, the, the number of runs wins a game, you want to win an inning. Um, and so players could, you know, uh, teams could um, uh, celebrate every inning and each inning kind of become, becomes a, a tough experience. And a lot of, a, a lot of other things like, um, uh, you know, just d- different ways people move on the bases. It's actually not that different. Some wonderful documentaries on YouTube, but it looks so much fun. Um, they travel around, they do play other teams in what they, they're calling banana ball. Um, if the Savannah bananas come to your town, and especially if you have kids, go see it. I've, I, the, 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 the videos look amazing. I'm hoping one day they come to Chicago and I can see them. Um, just, just an absolutely cool, cool little experience. And, um, uh, uh, you know, one, you know, the crazy looking guy was the crazy looking guy in, uh, uh, in, in an all yellow tuxedo. Um, for uh, for the Savannah Bananas, highly recommended, and just or just watch them on YouTube. It is it's very cool. That's awesome. So it's sort of like a baseball um, Harlem Globetrotters type of thing, basically. Yeah, but the, so here's the difference, right? Is that um, one is that the games are competitive. Um, there's not a heel team, right? The, 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 it's it, it really is competitive. Um, and two, it it it's not that different from real baseball. It, it's you know honestly when I when I watch when I've watched the you know the clips of them on YouTube, I go like, I wonder if this is a better game. Um, which is which is weird to say, uh, but yeah, you know, I just strongly, strongly recommend uh, Savannah Bananas. That's awesome. Now I'm looking in the comments. I don't think it came up, or else I didn't see it. But Mike Whiteman did see. I be- mm. did write. I believe Paul may be talking about Stratomatic Baseball, a great gift idea. EJ, it's right about this time that uh, there it is that we uh, turn it over to you to. Find something in Major League Baseball that's a little bit different, or something that I that that we haven't touched upon yet. Okay, so there's so much news going on right now. Um, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you what I will be watching on television directly after this game. I have not yet watched it, but I'm going to read the description. The the, the show is called Hot Stove League. It is on Netflix. It is a South Korean television uh, series that aired in 2019 and 2020. The series series stars a bunch of guys. It revolves around a baseball team named the Dreams which has the worst record in the league for four consecutive, four consecutive years. Hot Stove League has received critical acclaim in several awards, including Best Drama from the Baksang Arc, uh, Arts Festival. Uh, the, Dreams, the Dreams are a Korean professional baseball team that have placed last in the league for the past four seasons. When their manager steps down, the team hires Bak Sung uh, Soo, who has managed several championship-winning sports teams as his replacement, despite uh, Sung Soo, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Sung Soo, having uh, zero pro- uh, experience managing a professional baseball team, facing shrinking budgets, infighting between the coaching staff and the team. Sung Soo uses his outsider's insights with the help of an operations manager to upend the dreams culture in a bid to create a championship winning team, despite the looming fact that every team he has managed has folded right before winning the championship. I cannot wait for the, to, to watch this. It is my dose of baseball while there, while there is no off season. It is called Hot Stove League. It will be on. It is currently on Netflix. I will report back next week. Now that's awesome. Now, if if you don't have Netflix, how do you watch something like this? You just can't. I think you buy Netflix. You have to buy um, I Netflix. I think I think Netflix is the it aired on South Korean TV at some point. So if you're in South Korea, you might have other options. Uh, but I believe you have to watch this on Netflix. That's interesting. All right. So, so 
that's a whole nother topic uh maybe to talk about someday like this show is on paramount plus and that one's mm -hmm. only on netflix mm -hmm. and and boy oh boy i don't and this one's only on disney uh i did watch uh the the beatles documentary uh the, yeah uh, how'd you, I, I almost wanted to bring that up and be like hey let's just not let's just talk about this what do you think about get back did you watch it i did all right so are you a big beatles fan I'm not, but I, I, I'm becoming, I, I, you know, the, I, um, you know, I, I, I cycle my Spotify list while I'm working all the time. And my current list is an all Paul McCartney list. Um, after watching Get Back, just absolutely fascinating, uh, fascinated by, um, by kind of the, the late, you know, the late, uh, late 20s, or early 30s, Paul McCartney, watching him uh, on Get Back. But tell me, what did you think about it? Oh, I thought it was phenomenal. It was nine hours and, uh, I pretty much watched three hours a day for three straight days. I loved, there were a couple parts that I really loved, like when, when he's just sitting there playing the guitar and he sort of makes up Get Back, the song. He's and, just shaking, he's just going like this. And all of a sudden you start to hear Get Back form. Like, a, like, like it, it, it's absolutely incredible. As he's sitting there with, with Ringo and George, they're just sort of watching. And I think they're just George waiting for John Lennon. John yeah. Lennon's late. And they're like, all right, well, I got to think about a song. He starts going and all of a sudden you just, you just hear it. Uh, so, and and yeah. what I love about it is he, he doesn't do the word, he, he does the tune first. Mm -hmm. So he's just going there, he's going da 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 like, like that, That's how he's writing. And eventually he's like, oh, we got to put some words to the song. Um, I, I completely agree. I love that scene. The, um, you see the same thing happen with George Harrison in the song Something, uh, where mm -hmm. he yep. has the basic idea, doesn't have all the lyrics down. Um, Ringo and Octopus Garden. Same um, thing. That concert on the rooftop, which is in the original Let It Be movie, and which a lot of people have seen already in, in various iterations on YouTube or whatever. But the way they edited that whole thing and the way it became the climax of nine hours of, of watching mm. the Beatles uh, creating an album was, was just phenomenal. And I loved how they, they, they put the little lineup. This is the version that, that ended up on the album and things like that. Mm -hmm. Just so, I, so, Paul, I want to give you a surprise here. Hopefully, I don't have to destroy myself. But I have that concert on my computer that I was listening to right before the show started. Uh, the concert on the rooftop? Yeah, I loved it. it yeah, me too. Well, well, let me tell you, I, I, I there's some real punk rock stuff going on there, right? The police arrive to shut down this like impromptu concert on the roof of their building that's causing a racket, and and they go in and they put a hidden camera in the waiting room, and then the receptionist starts kind of like leading them around and claiming they don't have a key to go upstairs and they can't find the one person they need to talk to. And then another guy comes down, does it again. Then another guy comes down, does it again. Then the police finally get up to the roof and Paul McCartney kind of looks around and laughs and then starts, uh, uh, you know, just starts basically trying to get arrested. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Highly recommended. The one thing I took away from this that I, I was under the impression, I think a lot of people were, that at this point in their career, the Beatles hated each other. Mm -hmm. And that's just not at all what it comes across. The mist. It, it, it is, it is, they are, they're having the time of their lives. They, they are loving what they're doing. They're screwing around. They're having fun. Um, they're, they're jamming. It, it's nine hours of jam sessions. Um, it's, and, and uh, you know, it's like seven weeks later that they go back into the studio and, and they record Abbey Road. That's one of their best album. I mean, Which I mean just... it, 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 what's amazing is that you just see how skilled these guys are, right? Where, you know, Ringo goes to use the bathroom and all of a sudden John Lennon's on drums and he's drumming out something that sounds awesome. Or, you know, one of them decides to go switch to the piano or one switches to, you know, to, to other instruments. Um, or, or they're just playing random cover songs, you know, when they're in between moments. I, yeah, I went with you. I loved it. And 
um, it really it really makes you appreciate kind of the craft of how skilled these guys were at writing music and how Paul Mar Paul McCartney just left on his own, just will just write something brilliant without you know without you know just 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 on the side. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I really enjoy it. Back. Me too. Uh, great stuff. A nice, nice little uh, nice little diversion here. Um, I was trying to think of a way to tie it back to the Yankees, like like when you see greatness and how does greatness work and and how do great teams work together and and it's a, it's how I imagine like a Mickey Mantle approaches baseball, where it's just so easy for him. Um, you know, I think I hear stories of I, mean, I think I mentioned this on this show before. Of Barry Bonds as a hitting coach, and Barry Bonds just telling John Carlos Dan like, no, you just just don't swing at the slider. So you you can you can see that it's a slider, and and you know John Carlos Stanton slash himself going like, no, I can't. I can't do what you can do. Um, and, um, you know, I think about when Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky was a coach in the National Hockey League, or I think about, um, you know, why, you know, you know, Michael Jordan, if he were, if he, if he were a coach, you know, these guys are just so incredibly talented that um, they're different. Right. They, and, and it's fascinating to watch them work. You know, you can't, you can't really watch a baseball player figure it out. Right. I mean, he just, cause he gets the hit. He gets, the, he gets the strikeout. It'd be great to kind of watch, you know, you know Roger Clemens try to learn how to learn a new pitch or something. Uh, but you can watch that with a musician. You can kind of watch them just create something that you've heard your whole life. Um, yeah. You know, Ted Williams, uh, I believe, was a very good hitting mm -hmm. coach and, and a manager. In his book and other books, they talk about how a lot of players became better hitters. Mm -hmm. At least he was a great manager for hitters um, under under his tutelage. But again, when you talk about like uh, um, Barry Bond saying just you can see that it's a slider and John Carlos Stanton saying, no, I can't. It was late, uh, maybe 10 years after Ted Williams had retired as the story goes. And he had such great vision that he said when he hit the ball, he could tell if he was hitting it with the seams or against the seams. And people mm -hmm. were like, no, that's impossible. You can't possibly have known that. He's like, oh, absolutely. I did. That's how I was such a great hitter. I knew exactly where I was hitting the baseball when I was hitting it. And so they said that if that's impossible. So again, this is like 10 years after he retired, they, he goes, well, let's try it. So they got a pitcher out there. They put him out on the mound. And they, as I understand the stories, or as I remember the story, they sort of dip Ted Williams bad in like pine tar or, or black mm. paint. And he got up there and the pitcher threw the ball and he swung and he hit the ball and he'd be like against the seams. And then they'd go up and they'd find the ball, you know, in the outfield or wherever he hit it. That's awesome. And darn if he wasn't correct, like 85% of the time. Now, I might be not. It might be doing the story some injustice. It might have been 92% of the time or 75% of the time. But the basic idea is the same. Like the vast majority of the time, 10 years after he retired, he's still able to say like against the against the uh, seams or with the seams. And when you have that kind of talent, the other thing, you know, talking about great musicians and great baseball players, the thing that amazes me about these great players is when you hear them talk, they remember the game. In, with mm. such fine detail that I don't think the average person can and can recall, but it's so meaningful to them that they'll say like 50 years later, Hey, what were you thinking when you were up against, you know, Bob Feller in that game? He's like, well, as I recall, the first time he got me out on a slider low and away, and I knew he was going to use that pitch again uh, later in the game. And when he did, I was waiting for that exact pitch. And that's how I knew to take it into left field. Like, how can you remember the pitch that a guy threw you all those years later, or the story about Bob Gibson, I think it was. And the last time 
he went up against somebody and that guy hit a home run off him. Then 15 years later, uh, that guy comes up to bat against him in an old timers game and he drills him, right? He knocks him down. He goes, <laughs> what was that for? He goes, well, last time you were up, you homered. <laughs> to have you know, that kind of remembrance of, of what happened. You know, there's a level of focus that some, when you're really, really good at something, it could be sports, it could be something else. It is incredible. Um, and, and you notice that. I've, I've noticed this with, um, you know, in my world, in the scholarly world, I know some people who have this level of focus that they can remember a paragraph that you wrote in an article 10 years ago and, um, and, and recall it and, and, and have a thought on it. Um, it it's amazing. I, I think about Mariano Rivera, who was one of those players who was so perfect at everything he did. He did one thing perfectly, and that's why he was a Hall of Fame player. And he was on Jimmy Fallon's show, The Tonight Show, uh, about three months ago, four months ago, kind of toward, during, the, during the playoffs, I think. And I forget why he was on, on the show. But they just they set up outside of Yankee Stadium in the, in the old field, and they set up some plates, basically. And they said, all right, Mariano Rivera, you know, can you, can you hit the, the target? Can you still hit the target? And Jimmy's like, I'm sorry, this is a little hard. And Rivera's like, no, no, it's easy. And then he just, he gets some baseballs and he just, he, he perfectly hits the center of every single plate that they have set up. Um, you know, I, you know, I've never, never been an athlete in my life and never, never been a good athlete in my life. Uh, that kind of, that kind of talent is just unimaginable, unimaginable to me. Um, and, and I'm, and, you know, you think about, um, uh, you think about someone like, like an Ichiro Suzuki, somebody who, whatever athletic task you gave him at the peak of his career, you, you thought you, you expected he could do it. Um, the whole story about him hitting for power and batting power and batting practice was true. He he actually could do that, um, but he could also you know throw the ball ninety you know hundred miles an hour from the outfield on you know on a, on a with a perfect a perfect uh, a target. He was fast. He he had this. He essentially invented a swing so that he could run faster to first base. Um, that that kind of talent, even on a baseball field, it's amazing to me that that major league professional baseball players can tell the difference. Right? They can tell the difference between Gio Urshela. And Alex Rodriguez, um, or, or you know, they, they can you know when 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 you go to a, a showcase of high school players, and a scout goes there and says that one guy is the next major league shortstop. Now they're often wrong, right? They're not they're not great at that, but it's clear that individual athletes stand out in ways that um, that might to an untrained eye might not be obvious, but to people who who are very good themselves is obvious. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I, I love watching the best in the world do what they do. It's why I love sports. It's why I love baseball. Um, that's why I love hockey. I love watching a player. Uh, the devils have a player right now named Jack Hughes who could just undress the other team, right? Just you know, could skate in and out of four guys and get the buck to get the puck to the goal and make a crazy. Thing. That's just, that's not, that's, that, that's fun to watch. And, um, you know, I, I just wonder what it's like to be that talented. Um, I think I'm pretty talented at some stuff, but not talented at that. That's amazing. And, and, you know, that, that's, that's our dream in, in some ways, right. That, that, that you can play major league baseball. And what happens is that difference is so vast between what those guys can do. I, we just put an interview uh, with Buck Showalter on start spreading the news. We do a, a little thing every Sunday night called the uh, Sunday night special. And it's, just, you know, it's usually some type of great video or something we find on, on YouTube or, or somewhere out there. And, and we share it with, with our audience. And, you know, since Buck Showalter is the big topic, we, we, I, I, I reran the um, MLB interview that they did with him when he was managing the Orioles. And it's interesting that he was talking about his son 
And his son was saying like, yeah, I think I'm going to play pro ball. And he said, one of the hardest things he had to do was tell his son like, yeah, I don't think so. You're not, you're not quite that type of guy. And he's like, well, maybe I could play division one college. And he's like, mm, I don't really think you're going to be able to play division one college. Like maybe junior college. He, and he finally says something like, you're a nice high school player, son. And I think that's where it's going to end. Right. Like they know they can see there's, there's things, you know, Tevi Troy, when he was on a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Tevi Troy, he asked us, can we run? And this goes back to that book you were talking about. Also, he says, like, can we run a baseball team? We like to talk about how we know more than, you know, the, the who the Yankees should get or whatever. Could we run a team? And we're like, yes, but knowing that we really can't, that, that that's our dream to be able to have Brian Cashman's job or whatever. But the, the level of knowledge that you have to have about how to look at players and see how good they are and see where that talent is and and where is that unfulfilled talent and that future talent when you're looking at a kid who's 16, 17, 18 years old and you can project that he's going to be someone who's a starter in the major leagues or a bench player or anything like that. It's amazing. I mean, just, just go to a baseball game and sit as close as you can to two major league baseball players playing catch. They're sitting there and they're throwing the ball and it's, you know, they're, they're just very, very casually throwing the ball. Like I would to a kid and it's going 80 miles an hour. <laughs> um, it, it is, it is incredible. And, th and then watch them go play some long toss and they do something that seems like a superhero move, like something that should not be possible. Throw a ball that hard, that far accurately. Um, then, then try to go, go, go to a slow baseball player and try to beat them to first base. Try to be David Ortiz when he was 40 to first base. That's not easy. It is, it is amazing how great these athletes are. Um, you know, I, I, I talk about hockey a lot. You go watch them skate. These are guys who can skate so fluidly, like, like it's like you're walking around, like a, like a normal human being is walking around. Um, and, and those basic skills are what differentiate the D1 player from the minor, the player who, who's going to get drafted. Or the guy who can, you know, flames out at a ball from the guy at AAA, and I think I think the the thing that that at least prospect people have have um, ingrained on me over the years is that the the next step above that is what makes you a major league player. It's not the physical talent. By the time you get the AA, AAA, the physical talent's there. People have that talent. It's the focus, and people use the term makeup, which is I think kind of broad, but it's it's all those intangibles that make a really good baseball player. Think about a guy like Derek Jeter. By the middle of his career, he was not a physical specimen by any means, right? The 32-year-old Derek Jeter was not a guy who could outrun anybody. He wasn't a guy who was stronger than anybody. He didn't have a strong hit. He didn't have a great arm at all. But he he just had kind of that extra that extra oomph that could get him a batting title in his early 30s um, in, in a way that, um, you know, that you, you just don't see in other, in, in other, uh, 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 in other players. Uh, and and when, when we're looking at a player, let's, let's say the next big hot Yankee prospect comes up. To me, that's what you want to see. You want to see signs of this guy is different. Um, I want to name any names, but there, there's guys who come up in the Yankees who have been kind of big prospects who once they come up, you go like, okay, he's got some physical tools, but it doesn't seem like a long-term Major League Baseball player. It doesn't seem like the guy who's going to be a long-term star. Uh, and there's guys who have physical tools, a guy like Tyler Wade, who just, you can tell, just never really is going to put it together. Um yeah, it's a, it's a great way to think about it. It's amazing that we started talking about get back and this is where we ended up. Um, but I'm telling you, I bet if I, if I saw, you know, pick, a, pick another solid uh, musician and watch them write a song in the studio, I bet it looks very different than watching Paul McCartney and John Lennon.
phrase on. You know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I, and, and you're a social scientist, so th we do not have time to get into this, but that whole 10,000 hour rule and the Completely whole untested. idea. Yeah. But, but that, and, and I think the, the basic framework of that idea is, is rooted in logic, right? If you spend 10,000 hours working on something that you're going to become great at it. And, and the Beatles invested that kind of time into their, into their, into their art and great baseball players invest that kind of time into their, into their art and great baseball GMs invest that kind of time into their art. You, you find out what it is. And when you know what you're looking for, um, it's uh, easy and, and you know how to hone right? that skill, you, you, it's you easy to copy the Beatles, right? It's easy to be the, the team that, um, uh, that looks at the Rays and say, do what the Rays do, do what the what the the Dodgers do. And indeed, there are a lot of teams that that have adopted tactics and strategies and, and, and player evaluation stuff from those teams. It's harder to be the trendsetter, to be the team that's inventing new things at at the high level. Right? The, the thing about the Rays is, is if, if they screw up, they don't have a cushion to fall back on. Um, if the Dodgers, you know, the Dodgers have, they can screw up and they have a money cushion to fall back back on. But these are teams that are taking big risks in the way they manage players and the trades they make in the, in the types of, of strategies they use in games. And they're just that good. Like the, like the organizations, the people who lead them are just good enough to, to pull it off. Um, and I, I honestly, I, I we, we were harsh on the Yankees here. I think the Yankees are one of those teams. They're one of those teams that can do, that can take big risks. Sometimes those risks don't, don't, don't work out, but um, more often than not, they do. And that's why they've been successful for so, for, for so long. And and the thing that we want more than anything else, as as we wrap this all up, is that flag. Like we want we want the payoff for the Yankees being that smart team. Um, listen, you mentioned like which guy is going to be the long term star, right? EJ, I think the long term star is you. And uh, you know, it's always a pleasure spending this time together, either here or on the Bronx Bee podcast. Looks like our hour is up, so uh, I think it's time to wrap this up. I'm going to wish you a happy and a Merry Christmas. You too, and Paul. Thank you very much. And we're going to see you. We're going to be right back here Monday night before the New Year. So I won't wish mm -hmm. you a happy New Year. Hopefully, when we meet next Monday, we can talk about maybe some holiday gifts we received. Maybe we'll talk about the greatest gift of all. Maybe baseball will have solved its labor problem. I doubt it. Hey, that's what the holiday season is for. That's what Christmas is for, making great wishes. So thank you, EJ. Thank you to our wonderful producer, Mac. Thank you to all our listeners and people who are watching. We enjoyed spending this hour with you. This has been the Start Spreading the News YouTube show on the Northeast Streaming Sports Network.